0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash (laughs) w-t-f all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fucking ears what the fucksters what the fuck wads I don't know if that's a good one I don't know if that's a positive thing how are you how are you how are you how are you? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Thank you for listening. By the way, my guest is Dweezil Zappa. Dweezil Zappa, son of Frank and Gail, brother of Moon, Diva, and Ahmet. Dweezil Zappa, the guitar player of the bunch. Dweezil Zappa, the true legacy of his father's fingers. Yeah. I talked to Dweezil. And many of you who've listened to this show for years know I dated Moon for a little while. Didn't really end well, but that was not a topic. When Dweezil became available to do the show, I thought, let's talk some music with Dweezil about his uh, his fingers and his guitar and, you know, the journey he's been on and his relationship with his father's legacy and his father's playing because he does play a lot of Frank out there on the road. There are family things I could talk about, but I chose to keep it on guitar And Dweezil and Frank. Frank, the the mythic Frank Zappa, the mountain that is Frank Zappa, the empire of sound that was generated by Frank Zappa, apparently hours and hours of which we have not even heard, has not even been laid out, laid down. Frank was a big supporter of comedy as well. He was a cutting-edge motherfucker in his day, carved his own way to the point where He's got so much stuff and there's so much genius to it. You got to be a special type of nerd to fully wrap your brain around the Frank Zappa thing. And I'm, you know, I'm still taking it in. Like right before I started Dating Moon back in the day, I started getting into Zappa and uh, I had a brief foray into that world. I was able to see the original studio and stuff. But, uh, you know, where do you even start? The funny thing is, Zappa connects to Beefheart. Beefheart connects to Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf directly connects to Hubert Sumlin, his guitar player. And this is a roundabout way of me saying that I did this uh, voiceover for a documentary. Sidemen, Long Road to Glory. And if you're down at South by Southwest, you can go see it, All right. I did the narration. The world premiere of Sidemen, Long Road to Glory, is tomorrow, Friday, March 11th. And there are other screenings next week. Go to SidemenFilm.com for all the details. Hubert Sumlin, that's who it's about. Three Sidemen, three blue Sidemen. It's about Hubert Sumlin, Pinetop Perkins, and Willie Big Eye Smith. All right, the film it basically captures the last three years in the lives of all those guys. They died within eight months of each other. Hubert Sumlin played behind How and Wolf, Pine Top and Willie were in Muddy Waters' band. The guys did a nice job with this. The fellas, the fellas that made the movie, Scott Rosenbaum and his crew, is a lot of uh, guest uh, appearances in it. Joe Perry's in it. Elvin Bishop. Joe Bonamassa, the guitar player, Sugar Blue, Robin Ford, Guy Davis. They talk to, what, like, Robbie Krieger, John Landis talks, Bonnie Raitt, Susan Tedeschi, Derek Trucks, Brad Whitford from Aerosmith as well. These are all people talking about Pine Top Perkins, Hubert Sumlin, Willie Smith. You know, it's these kind of movies... They're about a time that none of us lived in, certainly. And if you love the music, you're going to want to see this movie. You know, these were lives, man, fucking lives lived, and these guys defined something. If you think about Howlin' Wolf, you think about like, Hubert, something about Muddy Waters. There'd be no rock and roll without these guys. And I know I sound like just a dumb old guy, but you can go directly. I guess my point was directly from Howlin' Wolf to Captain Beefheart, who was basically a psychedelic. Hal and Wolf, who then deconstructed everything, in you know, music itself, and and created something different. And the relationship between Zappa and B-Fart was formative for certainly for Zappa. And that gets us the dweezil. But nonetheless, the movie is great. It's a great doc. There's a lot of good people in it. It's about some amazing musicians. And it premieres tomorrow, Friday, March 11th, at South by Southwest. And there'll be uh, screenings all week. I was trying to remember when I first took in the blues. My relationship with blues music is weird because I play the blues at home here in the garage and I play them alone in my, in my living room and I play a a lot of blues based music, but I don't necessarily listen to the blues that often. I don't know why that is. I've been trying to think about that. I enjoy playing blues music, but I have a hard time listening to it unless I'm really in the right frame of mind and I can really isolate why, why I'm listening to a particular performer. I don't know what it was that resonated with me early on. It was just a, it was just a thing. Either you're wired for it or you're not. And when I learned that three car, that three chord blues, or that that fucking, I was one of the first things I learned on guitar, and I was like, this is the key to everything. And I'm not saying that isn't true, but then I would got I got into this weird phase where I don't know if I've talked about it, but I decided that until you were able to own for yourself muddy waters rolling and tumbling blues until you were able to make that thing your own and and find your voice in that song you were not officially a blues man it was just this theory i had so i spent years trying to make myself my own version of rolling and tumbling because i thought that there was some sort of depth of a uh, moral turpitude and uh, and and pain in that song that has to do with broken hearts and uh and also about just the existential thing of like uh, you know just being alive and knowing it and I just thought that was that was the song that was some sort of Rosetta Stone but there, I just became sort of obsessed and then you sort of hear this Robert Johnson business the first time you listen to Robert Johnson who's the guy the crossroads guy the guy who made a deal with devil the great mysterious mythic presence of and, and the heart of uh, all modern blues first time you listen to that record you're like I can't even understand it it's like it's too crackly. What's so great about this? And then you got to go past all the crackles and past the potential speed differentiation and past what was pulled off a 78 recording and try to isolate those magical notes and that magical voice into something that you can find within yourself. It's no easy task. Now I got Juizo on today. And Juizo's fucking a, a wizard on the guitar it's his birthright in a way but uh but he i can't ever get to a level where i can even understand what the hell he's doing i'll talk to him about it because those guys that understand the instrument inside and out and the electronics of it and what to make with the sound and how to do the sound i'm very impressed with those guys but i have not got a brain that's going to do that kind of work on anything that does not desire to have that much control of the creativity but I'm impressed by it. You ever listen to Frank Zappa could fucking play guitar like a like crazy, man. And all his stuff and all the orchestrations. And then Dweezil's got this new record out that uh, is sort of a, a personal journey for him. It's called uh, Via Zamata. You can get that wherever you get music. He's got tour dates coming up around the country. You can go to DweezelZappaworld.com for tickets. This is me and Dweezil Zappa. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page. Age that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. What kind of guitar did you come in here with?
1: I have a guitar that is basically like a 335, but it's uh, the Trini Lopez model, Uh Uh, so it has a different headstock on it and just a couple little things, but it's, uh, uh, for the new record, um, the Via Zamata record and and the shows that we're going to do, I needed a guitar that would have a A different kind of full-bodied rhythm guitar sound i mostly play an sg but i just needed something that would have a different kind of chime to it did
0: you that's the one you played on uh like there i thought it was almost like a classical guitar there's one cut on that record that sounds like a spanish guitar almost
1: well there is some spanish guitar on one part of a song called um uh truth
0: yeah 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 and you're playing that do you do? Do you do much acoustic shit? Yeah, you-, uh,
1: you know, I play acoustic guitar. Um, I don't have that many acoustic guitars. I think I have maybe two acoustic guitars. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, I love the sound of them, but. Um, the real problem for me with acoustic guitars is they always typically have heavier strings right. and my fingers don't callous yeah the, so the heavy strings just tear me up what you do know? you mean they don't callous I, yeah. I play look I I play like hours every day come on yeah I uh, just
0: felt his fingers
1: yeah and and they just uh, that's as as callous as they get. So if I take a shower like too soon before a show, <laughs> it's uh, like my my fingers will just the skin will rip right off of that. That's bizarre,
0: know? man. Yeah, isn't it? Is that your is that your cross to bear as a guitar player? It, it is. It's like it why is. can not
1: I get the hard weather? Yeah tips it does yeah it doesn't even matter i mean i could play 12 hours a day and it doesn't it doesn't that's, do anything that's fucking weird man
0: yeah. you still practice how many times a day well i i how play a hours? lot
1: you know i mean lately for uh for the new um tour that we're yeah. you're practicing for. I'm, I'm playing probably eight hours a day something yeah. like yeah, that yeah
0: yeah yeah well like when i when i uh i dated your sister briefly she it was funny because she said that um when she was growing up all she heard from your room was beedle biddle biddle
1: biddle 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 yeah. over and over and over. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing was when I started playing guitar, I mean, I I always appreciated my father's playing and his right. music, but I knew even from knowing uh very little about music at 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 the age of 12 yeah. uh that that stuff was something that was really hard, and I would have to <laughs> I would have to know stuff, you know. So I had to start somewhere else. But I started with uh, I got really inspired by Edward Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. You yeah. Know? So I mean, we're talking about 1981, 82, right? You know, and and at that time, the most popular music in the world was that, hard rock. You know? Yeah, yeah. And with so, those
0: big guitar players.
1: Yeah. So I was really. Uh, Inspired by by the sound and and the stuff that they were doing, and so I started to try to learn all that stuff. And of course, to to most people, it just sounds like beatly 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 because there's a lot of notes, you know, involved in practicing, you know, like. But did you do scales and shit? I did. I, I mean, I learned when I first uh, started taking guitar seriously. Uh, it was interesting because Steve Vai was in Frank's band and around. Um, yeah, he was around the house, and he was only about 19 or 20. Right, uh, And yeah. so uh, Frank asked him to show me a couple things, so I learned a couple scales from him and a couple little things. But So you were
0: just a kid sitting around with a guitar, like yeah. kind of hungry looking? Yeah. And Frank's <laughs> like, yeah, go, t- go, go show that kid a few
1: things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then... Nine nine months later, mm-hmm. I recorded the very first thing that I ever uh, put out, which was called My Mother is a Space Cadet. Yeah. <laughs> and it was produced by Eddie Van Halen. Uh, so it was this crazy thing where uh, I had only been playing guitar for such a short period of time, and out of the blue, Eddie Van Halen called the house uh, and ended up coming over like 20 minutes later.
0: He didn't have a relationship with you or your dad before no, that? No, he, uh-uh. he, like... he,
1: he called the house. So you got to imagine... Uh, it's nowadays it's ubiquitous to know about any celebrity through any tweet, you know what they had for breakfast or yeah, whatever. Right. You yeah. know, but right. but in in that time frame in the early eighties there was magazines like Cream, or yeah, Crawdaddy, or, uh, and yeah, uh, but or guitar even player. like Hit Parade right. and stuff like that. That was the only place you saw pictures of musicians outside of what they were doing in the studio or on stage, you right? Know? So yeah. you had to just imagine what these people must be like, you right? Know? And so th- I didn't even know what he sounded like, you know. Uh, was, but you, th-
0: although you grew up in a recording studio, kind r- of
1: right, but but <laughs> but the thing is, I uh, but but for to know anything yeah, about a celebrity right. like sure. you know Eddie Van Halen, right. There there was nothing there was no M T V cribs. Right. There was nothing like that. So right. so you would buy a record and you would listen and you would imagine all these things about well, you know, how did these people make this? You right. know. And, yeah. and, and, but so then some guy calls and says he's Eddie Van Halen. So we have no way to verify, but yeah. then he shows up. Yeah, and, and it's him. And sure enough it's him. And how old are you? Twelve, you know, <laughs> and and so the thing that was so cool. was- How did he
0: know to reach out to you because you had said publicly well, it, somewhere? No, that-
1: he wasn't reaching out to me. He reached out to to Frank. You yeah, know? he wanted to to uh, to meet Frank and right, and uh, I guess talk about some music or yeah. something. But uh, but what happened was. Um, you know, he shows up, and it was for me the the twelve year old me is looking at this like I mean, he was wearing the Women and Children First jumpsuit, right? right. You know, so he's he shows up uh, and he's walking up the stairs to the studio, and uh it, he might as well have been backlit with a smoke machine, you know? I mean, it was <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah. a, a bona fide superhero right. walking sure. into the house, yeah. You know? So so for me it was it was the coolest thing. He he shows up, he's got this guitar. It was a purple Stratocaster shaped guitar, but it had tape over the headstock. Sure. Cause he was just at that time starting to work with Kramer. Um Uh-huh. Oh right, so okay, right. You know, he yeah. wasn't plugging any name of right, anything, right. But so anyway, he he plugs this guitar in and I, and I immediately want to know, how do you play Mean Street? How do you play yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Eruption? And and so I got to see like, you know, from two feet away. Yeah how he played those things, and and that made a huge difference in, in um, how I could learn to play guitar because I could see the technique and, and how it was done, how he did it right up close because there's, there's a lot of trial and error when you learn things from a record. You, you have to try to figure out, okay, well... I can hear the notes work here, but they can also work at this point. On right? Where's he playing,
0: and how is the easiest way to get there?
1: Right. Yeah. And so it uh, it sort of made perfect sense when I saw how he did it, because you know when I was trying to learn that stuff, I wasn't doing it the way he was. Right. You know? and,
0: and you were spending
1: like nine hours. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he just and then they just show up and they like and you're like ah oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Not like it's, it was ever easy. You right. Know? I mean uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know to to play Eruption or play any of his songs and play them uh, with the the level of skill commensurate with his ability yes yeah. is, is you know that's that's a lifetime's worth of work yeah you know? do you still have a, a relationship with him yeah i see him uh you know every now and again um uh we were rehearsing in the room right next to them when they were getting ready for their last tour and stuff so with
0: david yep oh yeah <laughs> What Would you hear yelling or playing?
1: Uh, I mean, they—they actually—they uh, were running the set that uh, they were—they were getting ready for that Kimmel uh, mm-hmm. show in Hollywood. So they were running that set, and they were—they were they sounding good. You know, yeah. they, you know, it's Van Halen. They, yeah, right.
0: Mm-hmm. I um. So what? When did you actually start playing? Like, I get sort of fascinated with not like I came to your father's music much later. Like a little before I I, I re met your sister, I'd started amassing vinyl. So, because I, I there was part of me that was always like, you know, like, well, I got to wrap my brain around this shit. Like, I, I mean, I have to reckon with with Zappa at some point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you grew up in it, but obviously, as you got older, I assume that you that the drive to get inside of your father's music was was you know personal and not just professional.
1: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Uh... I've been doing Zappa play Zappa for 10 years right now. You know, this is, uh, uh, it's been a huge part of my life yeah. and my musical. Um, I mean, th- it was a training ground for a lot of things, but what started it was after Frank passed, there was this sort of relegation of his music to this novelty, File in, you know, in American culture, yeah, because of the
0: five or six hits that were funny songs. And in
1: in a way, I can understand that if if the only thing you've ever heard on the radio from him is is uh,
0: Sheik your booty or or, or, don't don't eat eat the yellow yellow snow snow. or Valley Girl or
1: or whatever, then you think, oh yeah, he's the guy with the silly jokey songs, whatever. But he made over eighty albums in his lifetime, eighty records. Yeah, sometimes five albums a year. Did your parents ever talk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: just I picture he's like I'm going downstairs.
1: Well, you know what's so crazy is he worked so fast that was uh, and he would get people that were excellent at what he needed them to do, and he would just make it so that stuff was always on a first or second or third take, and then you just keep going, you know? right?
0: So and he obviously loved to play.
1: Yeah, but I mean the level of of um, quality that went into the details of the recording, the right. writing, the arranging, all that stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's astonishing when you really try to to pay attention to how he did what he did. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean it's unrivaled anywhere in in the world of music. What
0: was the first stuff like like well let's go back a, a little bit. So how old are you? You're a little old my age? I'm 46. You're all here 46? Yep. So you're younger than me. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 52, but like what do you like remember about what was going on at that house when you were like your earliest memories of the musicians and stuff coming in and what was happening. And well, there you...
1: wasn't a, a lot of stuff happening like what people imagine. It wasn't like there were people in and out of the house constantly. All these different musicians and no. things. Um, most of the records that were made at the house once the studio was built. Um, I mean, you know, there was there was a, a, a punch card. You had to like clock in. You know, this was, was like a business. There was you a know? time clock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, so, so, uh, so the thing is, um, you know, growing up, there, there weren't a lot of people, like I tell the story that Eddie Van Halen showed up and, you know, just out of the blue, but we didn't have much of that. There right. really, there wasn't like a lot of just, you know, different musicians stopping by. Right? But,
0: but what about by that time, what was Beefheart and your dad still well, friends? or Yeah,
1: but uh, he wasn't really around the house much. He would call occasionally and you'd have experiences as a kid answering the phone and there'd be like some guy that would sound like. We all and uh, I say, yeah. uh, I've got a platypus in my briefcase, (laughs) and then basically, as a kid, you already just go. Uh, hold on, you know, and you're like, <laughs> dad, um, Captain Beefheart's on the phone, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so,
0: but, uh, so it wasn't like this, like grand central of musicians coming out. There were no. sessions. There were yeah, sessions. Yeah. And
1: it was serious, you yeah. know? I mean, Frank w- was, uh, he wasn't really social. I mean, he was, he, he was pretty antisocial. He didn't have a lot of friends. He wasn't about like hanging out or anything. It was when he was working, it was, we're on the clock. Let's make this happen, and you know, and keep moving. It was just everything was moving forward all the time. So he
0: never sat still, really.
1: Uh, I mean, he was sitting still in his chair while he was composing, but, you but know, like as a
0: family thing, you guys, you I, know, it
1: was it was not traditional in the yeah. Aussie and Harriet, you uh, know, obviously, you know, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, uh, he was he basically worked the opposite end of the clock. So when uh, he was waking up. Uh, you know, everybody was basically going to sleep, you know, so, uh, it was because uh, he could get more done when everybody was asleep and it was quiet in the house and all right that right of stuff, and, he, so. and and i
0: guess most of you just sort of revolved around his schedule on some level
1: that it just became normal or you know? guys
0: and eventually you guys just sort of had your own lives you just, well like, you oh. know
1: we would we would uh we would have dinner uh his would be breakfast and right. ours would be dinner you know and it <laughs> would you know it was just uh right that kind of stuff but um, 80 records. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really wild when you think about, uh, there were about three or four times in the 70s where he made five albums in one year, and one time it was specifically on purpose because he did it to get uh, out of a record deal. right. Uh which had never been done before. You know, it's the most audacious thing ever. You know, he, he wasn't uh enjoying how the record deal was working, so he turned in five albums uh, all at once. And said, I'm done. Yeah. And they said, You can't do that. And he said, I just did, you know. And uh <laughs> and it it, revol- it turned into a lawsuit which he won. But uh um, Were they good records? Yeah, they were all good records, you know. But uh <laughs> but the thing about it is um the the, the industry changed because of that then then contracts were written so that that could never happen again so they had to tear
0: them out over yeah. The years
1: yeah you you know if you had a five record deal you could only record when the record company said you could record and it was spread out over time and, and they was, owned you yeah right but you know frank uh for people that don't know he owned all of his master recordings um right which is also on he note. went out
0: of his way to do that and he also yeah. like and he produced early on. He found you know some bands like he, early like what was it was it through Fantasy? I can't remember. Well, he
1: did a, he did a couple of things with some people, but he wasn't doing a lot of that. You right. Know, he he helped Alice Cooper. He produced a record from Grand Funk Railroad. You know he he did a couple of little things <laughs> right. here. Yeah. There. I yeah. mean he he helped out George Duke and um, so what um, in terms of your sort
0: of uh, growing up as a guitar player because you put out your first whole record. What year was that?
1: Uh, I think it was 1986, and I was 15 when I made the record. But right, I came out when I was 16. Um,
0: and was the was the dream? Because I know that you and your brother did a show, and you kind of acted here and there. And, and I don't know. Did, I think you and Moon had some shit going on. But like, what was the goal? When did it become like all about musicians?
1: I mean, I was always uh, mostly focused on on music and playing guitar and stuff like that, but uh, there was a period in the 90s where... Uh, Guitar playing and actually being a, a skilled musician was, yeah. was frowned upon. Like you actually had difficulty getting work if you played well. You Were really, you doing studio work? I was doing stuff. Uh, I mean, I've played on a lot of people's records over yeah. the years, but uh, but what I was starting to get into at that time was um, getting into film score. Oh yeah, stuff. And but there was that was the one time uh, really in the sort of early to middle nineties where. I just got sort of disillusioned by what music would be or or could be because you know I had learned to be a rock guitar player that now that was the last thing anybody ever needed on a a record. What was going
0: on then? Was that?
1: Well, it was after Nirvana and and all that stuff. So So it got loose. It 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 got to the point where it was uh, it was really just more about. People seem to think that oh, the more simplistic or uneducated you're playing sounded, right. then that was what was
0: more honesty.
1: Yeah, you know, but but to me, it just it's it's one of those things that that it makes it so that people go oh, I could do that. It's lowering the bar so much that that it, right. it you know it just seems like oh well you know and then but then you have people that that just because of their ignorance of of music and and other stuff think that they're doing something so amazingly unique and original because they have their limited scope and they didn't learn how to do it other than teach themselves and it's noisy and it's messy and right you know so to a certain degree they they have their own personality in that but it's it's well
0: well that's always been the way it's been i mean like the reason why people played rock and roll was it was three fucking chords And it was like I can do that, and and it was that was the whole industry was everybody playing the same goddamn song, right? So I think what happened when you were talking about was like people actually turned on hair metal. It was like this movement against metal.
1: Yeah, but I wasn't really uh, about trying to just do only like metal music, no, yeah, right? You know, but the, but, but the, that type of rock. Well, something that that still had some. Uh, see, basically, I guess virtuosity. Yeah that 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 element of yeah. it, where where that is allowed to flourish within the music. But see, the thing is, I grew up listening to only what Frank was working on, or. <laughs> or whatever he was listening did he, to.
0: Did he really pipe it through the house?
1: Well, no, I mean, it was just, that was just, uh, you know, it was ubiquitous in the house because he... Uh, <laughs> if, if, he was downstairs. Yeah, he's downstairs, you hear some noise, you hear whatever, but the thing is, it's whatever he was working on or whatever he was listening to on, in his record collection. So it could have been rhythm and blues records or it could have been other classical composers like Varese or Stravinsky or it could have been the Bulgarian Women's Choir or it could have been anything... But it, we didn't listen to the radio. He had so, a big
0: appetite for, for yeah. any kind of music.
1: So I never knew what was on the radio until I was about 12. Yeah. And then when I heard the radio, I, I said, wait a minute uh what's wrong here there's a bunch of stuff missing you know where's where's all the rest of it you know because i where's I this
0: stravinsky on this rock station yeah yeah I, I was i was
1: totally confused because uh there was so much simplicity in this stuff and i had been used to all this instrumentation and and tricky rhythms and things because that was just what i heard growing up you know so that that really uh was a, a little bit of a thing that throughout my life you know when i listened to music. I'm always sort of hoping to be surprised, uh, coming around the corner with some other thing that's that's coming. You well, know?
0: Th- yeah, well, that's what what happens to me when I, you know, if I'll sit down and listen, like even like to your record, it seems to me that that this new record, how do you pronounce it, v- Via Zamata, Via Zamata, mm-hmm. is sort of like you know, it, it's you taking everything that you've learned all your life, but also sort of somehow honoring. You know the memory of the way your father orchestrates stuff too a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a pretty good way of putting it because uh, you know part of what what the. The idea when I got into the studio to make the record was I had had this experience where I went to Sicily and we traced our family roots uh, to this uh, little place called Partinico, Sicily. And there was a street called Via Zamata, yeah, which is where uh, Frank's family emigrated from. There was this one little place. How far
0: back? His parents or his, his grandparents?
1: Uh, his, well, uh, his parents uh, uh I, I believe actually uh, yeah. were there uh, and right. then came as children right. to the u.s but the thing was uh you know we got to go you see on the back cover here this number 13 it's just this tiny little place i mean the, the room we're in right now is maybe a little bigger yeah. than this this place that was yeah. in uh Uh, Parchinico Sicily and it had a little post where you could tie up your donkey outside you know but it's this mountain village and um so anyway the what I wanted to do was sort of uh do a musical interpretation of of that uh kind of experience of seeing where everything comes from
0: where you can where where Zappa comes from
1: yeah and well here's the other thing is the 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 name Via Zamata um from what I've been told by the people there in, in Partonico is you know, it's not a, a common word, but it it's the word is supposed to mean the sound of children's footsteps playing in the rain. Really? Yeah. I uh,
0: love when language does that. Yeah. Yeah. English is not that good at that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's
1: not. Uh and so uh, but then that street got renamed via Frank Zappa. The the, the whole town sort of uh, banded together to to create this uh, this thing to honor Frank. Uh, and so that that little street, which only had a dozen buildings on it, maybe yeah, um, uh, you know, small little yeah homes and and stuff, is uh, it's now via Frank Zappa. I bet uh,
0: you your dad would have appreciated the old name.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, but see, what's cool is like yeah. it, it was a street that had a specialized yeah, name yeah. Or, or something that had a specialized sound, yeah. and 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 now That's it also frank. has yeah. you know That's you know right. Frank's right. own specialized sound. Yeah, but they had their own little like military marching band playing some of Frank's music, walking through the streets, and it was this really really cool thing, you know.
0: Was that the first time you'd heard Frank's music played by a marching band?
1: Uh, I had actually seen some marching bands do some pretty wild stuff on on the internet, but this was cool, just. Because it was local people that are proud to be like, in some way, you know, part of of this this family history thing, and, uh-huh. they, and they were playing some some kind of challenging stuff. But it's the, like a, a local military marching band, uh-huh. and it was just sounded so cool walking through the streets, and you see all these, uh, you know, there's beautiful mountains and all this kind of stuff around, and then these old buildings, and
0: were you moved
1: for sure? Yeah, yeah.
0: You were like, "This is it." This it is was in- just
1: a really cool experience. It's it's kind of a once in a lifetime, you know, yeah. kind of thing.
0: And how did that inform the record, really?
1: Well, what it did was, it uh, in a lot of ways, I just tried to to take all the elements. It's kind of like what you described before. Yeah. I try to take everything that ever made me interested or inspired by music and kind of put them into uh, some little location on the record. Uh-huh. And and so it's it's. It's about layers of details, uh, so it could be um, part of the song or it could be part of the production. So, for example, uh, um, I grew up enjoying a lot of Beatles records, Uh like a lot of people, uh, but uh, I had the chance to work with... um, uh uh Jeff Emrick who recorded a lot of the Beatles yeah, records. Yeah. So he came in and did the uh recorded the strings and the and the brass stuff on the song Funky Fifteen and, and the, the song, song Truth. Yeah.
0: Oh and yeah. the class the one with the yeah, Spanish the, guitar.
1: Yeah, that also has the string quartet heading yeah, and, yeah. and everything. So um And did it, you Oh go
0: ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah you know.
1: no I basically I was just saying that you know all those those kind of layers of of details are things that are the fabric of of my youth and li- listening to that kind of uh, stuff that just happens on records and, and thinking, you know, I love the sound of, uh, you know, the strings on Eleanor Rigby. Wouldn't it be cool to work with the guy that recorded yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And so so that's what I got a chance to do yep. on that. And so, what,
0: was he, what was he like?
1: He was great. It yeah. was, he had so many cool stories about... You know, how he learned to do what he did, because for people that don't know, I mean, he started when he was 19 working with the Beatles Uh and, uh, you know, maybe even earlier, actually. But he he was he was doing full, you know, sessions and producing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I mean, he he just he revolutionized uh, recording in a lot of ways. How old is he now? Uh, I like, is not, he really uh, old? Did were you? No, I, I mean, I'm gonna guess that he's in his 70s. Maybe. Oh, yeah,
0: but yeah. he was all there and,
1: and, to- and yeah, totally great and, and into it. Uh, you know, so anyway the and the, there's a lot of
0: humor on the record there's a lot of i mean you did get some of your sense of humor i think from frank there no, you know there, there's a couple the malkovich song and the, yeah. and the
1: dragon what is it dragon master dragon master dragon master is actually uh, the only co-write i ever did with frank oh uh, really yeah he he wrote the lyrics to that song <laughs> and then he asked me to write the music to it so he wrote the lyrics in 1988 or somewhere thereabouts uh-huh. and uh and and What's so funny is, I mean, it's it's a completely preposterous song about a Dragon Master. Sure. You know, so yeah. what I wanted to do in putting it on the record was find a way to actually create some music that was legitimate for-
0: For the ridiculous yeah,
1: yeah. folk. So, because here's- <laughs> Well, what, that's what he did, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, yeah. But uh, But, you know, sometimes- See, I I just wanted the joke of it to work on a few levels, because if if you're somebody that doesn't listen to heavy metal music, then uh, and which this album is not a heavy metal album, but this, this song is a heavy metal song. Sure. But the thing is, if you don't listen to metal music, you'll hear what the jokes are straight away. It's pretty obvious. Right. But if you're really into metal it's gonna hit you in a different way there, there may not be a joke in there yeah you know
0: <laughs> yeah it's very earnest yeah this is honest metal exactly you know because because
1: <laughs> the, the thing about it is that it, there's there's just little details in it that that make me laugh like uh there's a, a lyric that says hate the day hate the light yeah and so i got this this guy to sing it that has a real metal voice this guy um Uh, Sean Albro and I was explaining to him I said okay on on the word light you have to add an extra syllable to it and he says what do you mean I said you know like hate the day hate the light You know, it's like it, it has to have that, you know, thing. He's, oh, yeah, you mean make it cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. You know, but it's its those like uh, it, it's like a Ronnie James Dioism, right. yeah, 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 yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah. and so it's but it's it's like finding the way to, to make all of that kind of stuff happen. It's like when you you just have to over enunciate things like the word what is what. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's just uh it's stuff like that that makes it for me you know i mean it's like there's there's all these other things happening but it's those little details yeah yeah. About, <laughs> yeah you
0: know no it's great and the uh with that the malkovich song what did you what did what, what where'd that come from
1: well it is it's actually john malkovich yeah uh, and so what's funny about it is he's he's got this uh project that he's doing that's this remarkable photo exhibit that he did with this uh, photographer sandro miller and um so he wanted to have a, a musical component that could yeah. go with this this thing that they're touring around all these pictures that they've done where they did portraits of john um as different famous people in history or they recreated famous photographs but not with the uh, digital things they actually like stage the photographs yeah, yeah. And with so, john or... yeah yeah so there's a it's famous uh, photo of of <laughs> yeah of like two Twin six-year-old girls in these weird dress. I think it's a Diane. Diane Arbus. Arbus. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's both of the 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 what the is girls? That? That's hilarious. i never yeah.
0: heard of this show.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really cool thing. So anyway, what he did was he decided he wanted a musical component to it, and he he recorded himself uh, reciting Plato's allegory of the cave. Okay. And then he decided, uh, well, let's see if um, there's some people that could put this to music, and so a uh, random selection of people got uh, asked to uh, make a soundtrack to to his performance. So uh-huh. so the album that he has cuz he's got his own album that that has uh, my song is on that but it's also on my record. But the thing is uh he, what he did which is interesting was he gave everybody the same performance of his and then everybody had to make their own music to it so uh-huh. uh the it's yoko ono rick okasic um uh, and you well yeah andy summers i i did one and then um dolores o'reardon from the cranberries and a, a bunch of other people it's a, a strange uh collection of of people but yeah. but my version um because i have heard i think most of the, the other stuff my version uh seems to be the only one that is more of like a straightforward song type of arrangement. The yeah. other stuff seems to be more like a a soundtrack that allows the, John's voice to come in and right, out and, right. and do... But uh, I just uh, thought it would be funny to, since it seems that most people won't be familiar with the text that yeah. he's he's reciting, yeah. that it would just be funny to ask the question, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> and so that's what the chorus became, you know? So it's like, we in the verses, we just yeah. let John say his yeah. his stuff. Um, uh, but actually, one of the interesting things about the, the production of it, too, is that the very first thing that happens in the song... This kind of strange little melody and weird rhythm, and what we did was we took John's voice and we used this software that's called Melodyne, mm-hmm. and you can have it uh, interpret what is happening, and you can actually it will take from that um, performance, it will extract pitch and rhythm. Yeah. So then you can take that and use MIDI uh, notes, and uh, you can like actually have something that goes along with the performance but what we did was we we extracted the rhythm element and so what his speech pattern that happens is actually creates the fill that starts the song and huh. then it, it goes naturally into hearing his voice in wow. the cadence that yeah. he's he's speaking who thought of that that was my idea but you know <laughs>
0: that's, yeah. that's that's like uh pretty uh like specific yeah
1: yeah it, it was a pretty cool thing to be able to do uh was he happy with it yeah, uh, I uh, I heard a quote from him saying that uh, the chorus of the song asked the question that would be uh, appropriate for his tombstone. You know, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Did you deal mm. with him at all? That's the funniest part of it. I still have never actually met him or spoken with him. Uh, huh? Yeah,
0: but he's okay. He's okay with everything.
1: Apparently, yeah. Yeah, apparently he likes the tune. You know, but it's it's a fun song that um, uh, it's it's one of the the tunes that. Um, as far as the record goes, uh, it, it was the, probably one of the fastest things that got done for the record because uh-huh. I I received the, the audio from John Malkovich and the song was written and recorded and finished thirteen hours later.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. You just locked in. Yeah. Straight through. Yep. Uh, <laughs> why? Why so pressing on that one?
1: It just was one of those things where it's just like let's let's do this let's do this let's do that oh we're done yeah. You know?
0: So, like, on this record, um, I mean, you've got a couple kids. You do, yeah. Did they go with you to Sicily?
1: Uh, Actually, my kids have not been, but um, uh, my niece, Moon's daughter, uh, Matilda, she got to go. Oh, yeah. She got to check it out. And uh, so on, on the record, on the song On Fire yeah uh, my kids uh my stepdaughter as well uh um and um, also uh my niece are all singing background vocals on uh on the song on fire yeah so that's pretty fun it's, it's cool to to hear the kids um just be part of that well know? i think
0: it's great that they all you know have a relationship all the cousins yeah it's nice you all live near each other because yep. a lot of people don't you know what I mean? And like, I've got yeah. cousins where you're like, oh, yeah, I met you when I was three. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. What's up? Yeah. But they're all involved in everyone's lives. It's great. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this, of the evolution of the, like, I, I sort of, because when I listened to this record, like, it felt to me that, you know, whatever you learn from Frank in terms of composition sort of comes through on this one a lot.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh and that's it, not a bad thing. I no.
0: well, my specific question is is that it seems like when you look at the catalog or whatever point that you entered into your dad's work, there was when I listened to it, you know, as it gets cleaner and the production gets more specific and the orchestration becomes more layered and 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 there's so much going on that your brain sort of has a hard time handling it. It seemed to me that he started with a, with a pretty strong satirical disposition to to say, you know, fuck you to popular music on some level.
1: Uh I would say that that's that's always been there because uh, yeah. his his MO was just uh, I like making music and right. if other people like it that's great, but right. that's not I'm not making music for the masses. Basically, he he just was uh he He's the kind of person that could literally uh, have a blank piece of uh, music paper. He could sit on an airplane and go from L.A. to New York and have you know, 12, 15 pages of music that he could write and hear all of the arrangement for every instrument, and all that stuff, and hand it to somebody and they would play it. And it would be like a completely finished piece of music, you know.
0: That's amazing, right?
1: It, it's totally nuts. But I like the way early on that he he actually
0: satirized other music. There's one album I yeah. don't know if it's Freak Out or any other ones where you know he just you know you know very subtly but very pointedly attacks Jim Morrison in a way.
1: Oh yeah, well I mean that that stuff that that stuff happened uh, throughout his his whole right. musical career. But the thing. Two that's so fascinating is that he had a vision of his music as one complete piece of music. Uh-huh. So he, uh, all the records that he ever made, to him it was part of one larger project that he called Project Object, mm-hmm. and he considered it all to be like basically one big note. And and there's this interesting uh, element of surprise where characters are introduced on records and then they come back and they're having this dialogue from record to record. So if you ever listen to the entire uh, catalog, <clears throat> you'll uh, you may find, Certain characters coming in and out that are they're answering things that happened on previous records and could and be like stuff. ten records ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, I mean, he had this uh, this thematic coherence uh, yeah. for for everything, and there was uh, this this grand idea that that nobody really knew about. But when you when you really put it all together and you listen in in chronological order, uh, you know, it's it's just mind blowing. And it's. Because he was sort of a conceptual artist, yeah. Like he comes from right,
0: like he comes from from noise music in a way, it, like that. He, some of his heroes early on, yeah, were real conceptual, out there dudes, right? What's the name of that one guy? Varez. Yeah, 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 who had the air raid siren in his um, in his yeah. one of his first big uh, symphonies, and that that's what blew your your old man's mind. That in R and, and B music, like,
1: yeah. You know. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's uh, it's just funny because I mean, as a kid. Uh, he just went to the library and taught himself everything about um, how to become a composer. He learned it all on his own terms, completely autodidactic, uh, you know, learning process. And, really? Yeah. And... Uh, so that's why there's no boundaries in his music. He'll mix any styles and and all kinds of different instrumentation and and stuff that other people might have said. Well, why would you do that? You know. Yeah,
0: he didn't have to answer to anybody.
1: Yeah, it was well, why not? You mm-hmm. know, why and, wouldn't I do that?
0: And when did you have like when your transition as a player from you know listening to to the uh, technique of, of Van Halen or even Steve Vai or somebody? When did you begin to to sort of intellectually integrate? you know, what your dad was doing when he started playing his shit?
1: Well, the thing about it is uh, a lot of it was always yeah, just... something that I uh, intrinsically had some sort of connection to, uh, but when I started to to learn the music, I studied the music for two years before I put the band together. Really? Yeah. Like, what do you, what, what do you mean studied it? You... Well, because the thing is, I don't have the same background as my dad, where he could notate anything, you know, yeah. I learned everything by ear. So he you know, wrote everything. Yeah. Uh, and so so what I needed to be able to do was I needed to be able to go over the fundamentals of a lot of stuff that I skipped over in my l- process of learning guitar. And I needed to know the names of, of things. I needed to basically go through and, and understand music theory and harmony uh, so that when I put the band together, I'd actually be able to speak the language that was required to to get the point across. Right. Because my idea uh, in putting Zappa plays uh, Zappa together was to emphasize the things that I thought were the most misunderstood or underappreciated things about my dad's music. And that's the focus or the, the emphasis that I wanted to, <clears throat> to put on the the performances and what
0: are those things?
1: Well, first in the first few years, I basically was uh, staying away from any of the stuff that was humor related. Right, I wanted to focus on Frank's compositional skills with his classical music and and uh, you know some of the other big band arrangements of of other things um, that uh, would. Would really like i said showcase his uh his abilities as a as a composer and then also as a guitarist because right. you know that was sort of an afterthought for people people like oh yeah i guess he plays guitar but he, he's a monster yeah, guitar player yeah and so what, what the biggest challenge in trying to do all of that stuff was obviously it's 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 difficult to learn to play the music and play it the way that it was intended to be played meaning the The page says here's how the notes go here's the rhythms here's the notes we didn't change it or alter it to to try to make it more uh you know for lack of a better description commercial or updated and modern yeah. you know because i use the analogy like uh, an orchestra basically is playing the music of of people from hundreds of years ago, and they're carrying that music forward for an audience to be able to appreciate, here's what it is on the page. We're playing it as the composer wrote this thing. So they don't get... You know they don't say, "Oh, you know, this music needs an update. We right. need we need to bring in a rapper and be like, "Yeah, yeah, Beethoven, open. Yeah." Uh-huh. One <laughs> yeah. time, you know, they don't they don't <laughs>
0: That's a different thing.
1: Yeah, they don't yeah. they don't but see, that's the the common perception is when you want to make something modern, you got to make it hip hop or you got to make it
0: But he was beyond modern already. I mean, he was in his own time zone.
1: <laughs> exactly. You <laughs> know, so so my my point is we we do it unadulterated mm-hmm. and and that way it is uh, an apples to apples comparison when you try to listen to the the original and compared to you know how we're playing it live. It's yeah. like it, we're playing it the way it is. Yeah, you yeah. know, right. And when you
0: were doing that, when you spent those two years, were there moments of discovery for you, where you were like, "Holy fuck!"
1: Well, I basically <laughs> had to completely change everything I knew about how to play guitar. How, it, was, how? it was like getting a lobotomy and then training for the Olympics. Really? You know, yeah, because what I I, I took over. Probably thirty years of guitar playing, yeah, uh and I said, forget that you know, and you you train yourself to play a certain way you know like a picking style where it's alternate picking right and and it becomes natural it's the right. same as like walking or breathing or something right. I had to say, nope, I'm not doing it that way anymore because what I want to do on the guitar to play these melodies that Frank wrote for marimba or keyboards and things yeah. like that can't be played with just simple alternate picking you know you have to have hybrid picking you have to have sweet picking you have to have all these things all at once wow just to get to these things so i i had to remap everything about how i visualized the guitar and uh, and the physical motion to actually play the guitar wow but then on top of that the hardest part was that frank didn't play like a standard guitar player in the sense that he had a bag of guitar licks and he's like, okay, here's my lick. Number one. He almost made fun of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the thing is he was completely extemporaneous when he played and, uh, and what he had was this massive vocabulary of rhythmic figures that he could just go ahead and start to use any way that he wanted and then attach notes to those through this whole other vocabulary of knowledge of harmonic content and all this stuff. So, what I had to do was say, "Well, how am I going to play in context <laughs> to the music and play in a way that is like what Frank would have approached, uh, and but still be able to do it in real time through my own voice?" You know. Right, so, right. so I had to be able to find a way. To create guideposts where I'd play what Frank played, and then you know fill in the blanks till the next guidepost. But in the fill in the blank moment, I didn't want it to just take a left turn. I wanted to be able to play in a way that, like I said, was was uh, evocative or in context to the music in the same way that that he, he would play. So, but your own, yeah. So I had to develop a a, a way to to. Uh, sort of, uh, interpolate these ideas with, I, I would take rhythmic figures that were part of his music, yeah. uh, things from the black page or things from echidnas Kidnazarf, and I would study those and I would say, okay, he's using some of these rhythms, uh, consistently in his music. Now, if I take these and I look at them and I say, how, how many of these rhythms can I, put on one string or two strings or three strings. And then how can I then just attach any note I want to those same rhythms so that it's these rhythms can still be used in, in context to the music. Uh, And so it became this like uh, (laughs) a rabbit hole, man. Yeah. Oh, it is. You know, (laughs) so, so for, for, for years, you know, the past 10 years, I've been developing this, this, um, this system of, Uh, applying these different rhythms because basically he was a drummer first before he was ever a guitar player. So, you know, a simple example of something like this is if he was going to play a five note group, uh, you know, he would break it into a two or a three. So you'd have one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, or one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. So yeah. you have these subdivisions that are in there. <laughs> and so then you you have the choice when you're playing, uh, how to um, how to use those. So for example, if you're contouring a rhythm of a line and you don't have any notes, but you just have the rhythm, you have da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If you're just thinking that you can put any notes that you want and then land on a downbeat and you can create wild sounding phrases when you when you play because it's the contour of the rhythm that that you pick up on the notes are superfluous right. you know right <laughs> right right and right. so a lot of his music has these these angular lines and stuff that are built around just the rhythm itself and and I sort of arrived at this because of the song the black page which was written as a drum solo and then he wrote an amazing melody to it months later
0: right.
1: you know so it was like wait he wrote all the rhythms first and then he put notes to it you so know? that was
0: your key that was your portal in
1: yeah that was how I said well let me see if I can just find a way to create a, a, um, a vocabulary of rhythms that I can facilitate on the guitar with uh, with some sort of relative ease and then just choose notes at random to these rhythms and so when you hear a song like um, uh, Funky 15 on on my record, yeah. uh, it has these angular lines, but they're, yeah. they're based out of these these concepts that I'm telling you about where it's a certain kind of rhythm, but the line just kind of moves through. It's the rhythm that keeps it. Uh, but the line actually isn't related to any one particular scale. It's like a polytonal Huh. idea because yeah. it's going through a lot of things you know so. so this is a
0: it's it's interesting to me and I don't know how you feel about it that you know this relationship you've built with your father posthumously yeah is is incredible and deep and interesting i mean
1: well to me it's a way to continue having a relationship with him you know uh-huh. uh I got to spend a lot of time with him musically doing stuff in the studio or on stage or or other things where you know i was probably the one person in the family that had uh, uh, a a continuous solid interest in music and yeah. and and was able to you know develop that kind of relationship with him but uh-huh. you know if he was around today i would have a lot of questions for him <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah like what oh i mean now that i've like uncovered uh, so many things about how he wrote some of the stuff um i would just uh, really be curious to Know how he consistently took the same... I mean, in Western music, there's 12 pitches. Yeah. Right? That's all you have. There's yeah. 12. And yeah. you can rearrange them any way that you want. But it seemed like he had a whole other bag of, of pitches that <laughs> nobody else had. Because he did not repeat his uh, the, the way that he would do things. You know, there was no... There's no consistent pattern that you could say, "Oh, this is basically a knockoff of this." Like he never did that in in his in his music. So I just would wonder how he was able to consistently just reinterpret those twelve pitches and with all different rhythms and never do the same thing. I mean, that's the thing that is it just blows my mind over eighty albums that he invented a new way to rearrange those same 12 pitches and rhythms. Uh, you know, I mean, you have countless rhythms, but the, t- the same 12 pitches uh, over and over and over and over.
0: Uh, Do you think he was, you know, uh, an explorer or or a searcher?
1: Do you know I mean, what I mean? I, I mean was,
0: was he looking, you know, was he you know, outside of the work? Because it seems like, he, you know, he had an amazing work ethic and he had a vision for what he was doing. Like you said, the, the object... Uh, that it was one continuous piece, and you know, I, I, because it doesn't necessarily. I don't. Th- it doesn't. He doesn't feel like a guy that was looking for something. He felt like a guy that wanted to create different things
1: all the time. I think that it was. Uh, it, I don't even know that it was a choice. I think it was just that it it, it just was coming out of him regardless. You know, right. know he, right. he just had to do it. He was. It's one possessed. of those. Possessed. I mean, possessed by music for sure. You know. And how how old were you when he passed? You know, I never even think about it, but yeah. I was early 20s. So, yeah. um, uh, probably like 21 or 22, something like that. I mean, I just block that shit out, you know. You, you
0: shut it down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I, I never remember, uh, uh, when it, I know like, uh, sometime in early December, you know, there's, yeah. there's always some sort of anniversary, uh, 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 you know, and I, you know, I think it's on the 4th, but I, I never, I'm never looking for the calendar. I never.
0: Do you think that this, this life, um, you know, sort of uh, process of you decoding him is some way of dealing with the grief of it all?
1: Well, I mean, it is. it it is. It's been cathartic in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I said, it's still like a continuation for, for me. You but know? do you ever miss him when you're... I, absolutely. I mean, I, I've played shows uh, on countless occasions and just broken down, you know, oh, really? while I'm playing. Oh, really? Know? Yeah, because it's... It's rough, you know. Yeah, yeah. It really is, and people go, "Oh well, you know, you should be past that at this point." It's like, mm-hmm. "Well, fuck you, you yeah, know." Yeah. The, the like, uh, you know, it's yeah. my dad. Yeah,
0: and when you, you know? yeah, yeah, and when you did like, because I saw you do one of the Roxy shows. Yeah, yeah, and that like. You know, being in that stuff, and so you're playing with some of his guys too. It's just I, I can't imagine the emotions of it.
1: All. Well, there, you know, we had this one thing that we were doing, and we've we've done it a few times where we have some footage, uh, some film footage of him um, that we were able to synchronize so that it's just footage of him playing guitar and singing, and then we have him on a screen, and he is playing. But we're playing in time. He's joining the yeah, band, yeah, yeah, and uh, so that was that was a real trip because he was in his prime, you know, he's yeah. in his like middle thirties and yeah. in this stuff, and uh, you know, here he is playing live, uh, and I get to interact with him a little bit, play saw, something, and I saw that once at a yeah. like I
0: don't want to you know, diminish anything, but I saw them do that at a Beach Boys concert, mm-hmm. and I was just sort of like, this is it's like you know, it's like summoning uh, you know a ghost in a way. Yeah. you know and did, did you feel like you were like trading well
1: there's there's some really really cool stuff that that happens you know for me personally but also for the audience that uh, you know didn't get a chance to see them you know sure. that, that's part of the Zappa play Zappa thing is is getting to, it out there yeah well but to to give it give people a chance to see uh the music in a live situation where they you know it, it's very different to sit and listen to something versus yeah. see somebody play it and right. realize wait a minute. How much work goes into doing that, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's kind of... Uh, yeah,
0: it's a real, like, even when you watch old, like, you will uh, like, I watched you with the Roxy do it, and then, like, I've watched some stuff online at him, and yeah. it's like, it's a massive undertaking. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like, oh, my God, how many people are involved, and then everyone yeah. knows where they're supposed to be. Yeah. And then when you see Frank, you're like, oh, I'm thinking when I'm watching him, it's like, I hope none of those guys fuck up, because I feel like that could be a bad thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, Frank. Frank was was real serious about stuff uh, when it came to the music. Obviously, he had a sense of humor too. But uh, if you were in the band, you were required to to know what you were doing, or you were gone. You know, yeah, he, yeah. his his phrase was "window or aisle." How would you like to return home? You know, because uh, you know if you weren't cutting it, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, I think this
0: new record, dude, is a real sort of like amazing uh, melding of of what you do and what he did and what you took from him. I mean, it seemed to really come together. Is that how you feel about it? Uh,
1: yeah, I think uh, I think it is. You know, because a lot of people before I made the record were saying, what's your music even going to be like? And I said, I have no idea. You know, it went into the studio and this is just what happened. When was uh, the last
0: time you recorded
1: a record? Ten years ago.
0: No shit.
1: Yeah. And so my experience of playing Zappa plays Zappa music all over the world um definitely um uh, informed what I was going to do on the record but uh but what I wanted to do was um it, in a lot of ways this is a more simplified record than than anything that I've done uh before and so that might be um unexpected for people because I think the um uh, the song structure is really the guitar actually sort of takes a back seat at, at a lot of in a lot of the record. Uh, I mean, there's still plenty of guitar in the record, but before when I made a record, if you looked at a picture of a house that's supposed to have music in it, you know, my guitar was sitting on top of the house, you know, now, (laughs) now it's just all integrated into that, that one picture because I've, I've learned to play in an ensemble and have it be where everybody has a specific thing to make the music move forward. You know, it's a very different uh, thing to be able to, to, to play uh, as a musician versus a guitar player.
0: Right. It's a know? maturing thing, I think. It's like, you, yeah. you know what I mean? You're willing to, to sort of let it breathe a little bit and not be like,
1: it's me, I'm doing yeah. it. Yeah, Well, because, you know, uh, there was so much emphasis on guitar when I grew up that it was, yeah. that was everything that was, you know, all, I mean, it was like, that's, that's what you're supposed to do, you know? <laughs> and, and so over time, it's like, well, you know, there's lots of ways you can do it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you
0: play Zappa, play Zappa, I got to mm-hmm. assume that you know, you know, Frank's fans are, are loyal and they're old, a lot of them, and uh, they're very specific, and usually they're very intelligent. Uh, you know, sort of socially awkward people. But I mean, I, I have to assume that you get a lot of the old timers coming out and and sort of you know almost see you as family in some weird way.
1: Well, you know, I mean, a lot of what you said is true. Uh, I mean, the the thing that um, that's interesting is that. We started this, like I said, 10 years yeah. ago. So, uh, if you look at it as the, the fan base that, that was always there and supporting Frank's music, the first wave of supporters for all that when we started was that age range. Yeah. And they would have been in their middle 50s up into their late 60s. Yeah. Right. right. You know, these are the people that would have been, uh, you know, relatively close to Frank's age, maybe a few years older, maybe a few years younger. But so. Carry that forward ten years. Yeah, we don't have you know eighty year olds in right. the audience. You know, right. it's actually going the other way. Right. We have a lot more young people, uh, and we we still have a, a good amount of people that are in their fifties and sixties yeah. that come to this stuff. But we're seeing a lot of of younger people. You know, because it's you can't sustain this music going into the future by only the original, uh, you know. Yeah, of course.
0: You gotta hope that it catches on and some people get interested. Well, I think that because of the abundance of the work, um, you you know, people, it's one of those things that people can find at any time and be like, if it locks in, they're like, holy shit.
1: Well, that's always the funniest thing though too is to find out like what record got somebody started. Like for example, what record uh, of Frank's got you to where you said, I gotta listen to more of this.
0: Well, I mean, like, when I was in high school, you know, Joe's Garage came out. So, like, yeah. you know, and I had that, and I played it all, and I thought it was funny, but I liked the story, and I and I knew that there was a lot of levels working, but it didn't send me back. And then, like, recently... You know, after sort of like doing some research about, you know, where he was coming from and knowing that there was such an abundance of work. I mean, I went and just started at the fucking beginning. I also became sort of fascinated with Beefheart and their relationship. So I, I just, you know, I just started at the beginning and I'm like, I'll just build out. And then, as it, you know, you listen to more records. I don't have, you know, I don't have eighty records. Yeah, you know, maybe I have twelve. Yeah, but you're sort of like you hear the evolution of it, and then you start to realize, like, oh my god, this is never going to stop expanding. Yeah, but uh, it was much later. Well,
1: know. that the funny thing is that uh, that's usually what happens is uh, most people don't start right at the beginning. Right. You know, they they start at some point on the timeline, and then have to go back to the beginning and say, wait a minute, he started here and ended up here. And there's this amazing, like every record is so different from, from the right. next. But it, it's always fascinating to me to find out what is the, the 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 record that gets somebody hooked. So there's people that I know where their favorite record is this uh, record called Burnt Weenie Sandwich. Yeah, I have that one. Now, that record is, if that's the first record that you ever hear... I personally, uh, uh, you know, I've, i I listened to that and I mean, there's stuff that I totally appreciate and, and love on that record. But if I, if that was the, the one record that started me, I'm not sure where I would go with that, you know? <laughs> But so the people that go, this is for me, yeah. this is a, finally a record for me, you know, and it's, there's those people that like they get into it and they they love that record. And that's like, that's their their dream to yeah. hear that yeah. in its entirety played live, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's crazy. I know that like Billy Bob Thornton, that's his favorite record, yeah. you know? uh, But so my point is, uh, there's there's some records out there, and I meet people sometimes, and they say, you know, the first record I ever heard was Thingfish, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! Like, if that's the first record, <laughs> and you like you heard that, and you went back for more, you yeah. know, it's like that, <laughs> you're hardcore then. Yeah, 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 yeah. because I mean, Thingfish is is probably uh, one of the the most hated records of of Frank's, you know. Uh, but it's hilarious. There's, yeah, there's crazy things on. I it, think but, most
0: people like it, in the broader sense they seem to go with apostrophe. Right? yeah
1: well i mean when i say you know if people say hey uh where should i start i always say you know apostrophe overnight sensations right. good place to start but then go back to freak out over and then you know uh the the next couple like absolutely free and we're only in it for the money so you can see that in a 10-year period he went from that to apostrophe and you go well, what mm-hmm. you know how did that happen yeah you know? I, I listened to
0: zuda lords recently that's a good record yeah for sure which one do you go back to the most
1: you know, I listened to uh, a ton of stuff. Uh, I mean, growing up, watching him make records like Apostrophe and Overnight Sensation and all the stuff in the middle 70s into the early 80s, that's that's the stuff that uh, right. is sort of the fabric of my youth. You know, right. So yeah, yeah. I love all that stuff. And we've played so much of it over the years um but um, one of my favorite records is the yellow shark which is a classical record of of frank's and uh the, the pieces on there are incredible but not only is the music incredible but the way it's recorded yeah is is incredible it's it's different than standard um orchestral recording techniques right you know? so it just really I gotta sounds, check that out it's really really good now what about like um what was that
0: tour you did with the on the hendrix bus
1: uh that's a tour that's called the experience hendrix tour and it's run by the hendrix family um, is that fun
0: is that a money gig or you like doing it it's
1: it's really fun it's sort of like guitar camp because yeah. they have like mm, somewhere between 15 and 20 guitar players right. uh that that come up and, and do stuff so you know eric johnson zach yeah. wild uh kenny wayne shepherd um all of the all the wizards yeah, yeah. And so you know you get to sit backstage and be like, "Hey, show me that thing that you do with you know." And, it's like... and you're just playing
0: Hendrix music. Yeah. What
1: do you? Which one do you like to play? Uh, well, you know, I get assigned different songs. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It is like yeah, guitar yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've I've uh, typically played Freedom a lot. Yeah. Um, which I I love that song. Um, uh, I a lot of times I'll I'll be playing with Eric Johnson. The two uh-huh. of us will do. Uh, so we've done Love and Confusion. Um. Uh, is there
0: singing? Or is it all instrumental? No,
1: it's singing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's uh, wild.
0: And how? And do you do that every year? or Is that was? Oh, uh, it's uh, of...
1: every every couple of years. It it comes around, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's just fun because uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's a it's a different thing to focus on. And I look at it the same way that I do with with my dad's music. In that, if I'm learning to play something that Jimi Hendrix played, I want to learn as best as I can to play it exactly how he played it. Because yeah. to me, that's that's the ultimate. Uh, tribute to it you know I, I, but the way that they do that tour is uh, you know people interpret uh, the playing and make new arrangements and, and, and they do sort of uh, have a different approach in terms of like yeah they will try to modernize this that or the other just because they allow for people to have that um, their that, version yeah that freedom to yeah. do their version but for me I just uh, personally I, I like the challenge of trying to
0: do it exactly.
1: Yeah, you know, because because yeah. when I would learn a song as a kid, if I didn't learn it exactly as I heard it on the record, then I to me I didn't learn the song.
0: Yeah. Well, your dad did a couple of covers. Like I like what, do do, what he did he do, do Whipping Post? He did Whipping
1: Post. He did he like that song or was he making yeah, fun of it? Well, he uh, it started because in Finland and there's a there's a uh, a concert called the Helsinki concert. Yeah. Uh there's a guy in the audience that yells up, "Whipping Post!" Whipping Post. <laughs> And uh and Frank says uh oh we don't know that one would you mind humming a few bars of that and the guy starts humming something he goes, yeah that's what i thought you know but uh, so after that Frank said the next time somebody yells out whip and post we're going to play it yeah. you know and so he made the band learn it uh <laughs> and so then they they did play it but he did like that song a, uh,
0: he does a good version yeah it. it is a really it's good it's definitely a version yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: but uh but he he's done some gr- uh, great covers of like i'm the walrus Mm. um he did uh stairway to heaven oh really yeah earnestly yeah what's cool is they orchestrated the guitar solo it's all played with a big brass section so it's it's all big band uh (laughs) horns playing the guitar solo and it sounds great (laughs) oh my god well, uh, there's one story that you might appreciate I'll leave you with uh, okay. about about Frank's, one of my favorites. Uh, y- you know, one of the things uh, that he was so amazing at is he, he was the guy that could say exactly what you wished you would have said in the moment if you were given the opportunity. You know, yeah. so there's so many things that happen in people's lives where, you know, they just don't react to something or they you know and later they're like oh man i wish i would have done this or whatever but he just was uh, you know he was always in the moment and he was always on yeah and so there was this one time where this this guy was a radio um host and it was in the middle 60s and this guy didn't like people with long hair you know he's very conservative yeah And apparently he had a war injury, so he had some type of a prosthetic leg or something like that. Uh Anyway, so he starts in talking to Frank, uh, and he says, So, Mr. Zappa, with your long hair, I guess that makes you a lady. And Frank, who's probably 26 or 27 at the time, immediately says to him, "Uh, So, Mr. Pine, I guess with your wooden leg, that makes you a table. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, I know yeah. what I wanted to ask you. What is this? Because like? I poked around a little bit on the line. What is this, um, this guitar player project? Oh,
1: what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. that That is a record that I uh, started making um, sort of as a goof to begin with, but then it turned into this other thing. So uh, more than 20 years ago, I started this thing w- with the idea that I would uh, make a piece of music that was the entire length of a CD, which is 73 minutes, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I guess there's some, you know, that could possibly play 75, but it's, it's in that range. Uh, it's a continuous piece of music that, uh, morphs moment to moment. And it's like, uh, it's basically an audio movie where in the background, like if you were watching a film and everybody in the movie, even the people in the background, were all recognizable actors. Like you see Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all right, these people, yeah. but they're they're just kind of there, you right? Know? Right. And but yeah. the, the, some people come forward and, and whatever. It's that's what this is musically. There's a bunch of different guitar players that just sort of start coming out of the speakers uh, occasionally, yeah, you know. Yeah. So the piece of music morphs from all these different styles, but then it settles into a guitar solo from Angus Young or. Eric Johnson or Eddie Van Halen or Steve Vai or Ingway Malmsteen, you yeah. know, all these guys, you know, Brian Setzer.
0: I like that you put Angus in there. I love Angus.
1: Angus is amazing. He's one, yeah. one of my favorites. He's a great guitar player. Yeah. You know, the thing about his playing is like uh, I like to study people's playing yeah. and, and try to play things, you know, and, and sort of imbue it with the phrasing that I can uh, interpret from them. But his vibrato is—he uh, brings it right up to pitch and then just shakes it right there. It's like yeah. this really fast frenetic thing. Where, but the physical nature of vibrato is to make it work, you have to kind of move the string, right? You know. But he's moving it in such a, sh- a small increment to shake it right up at pitch that I I can't do it. It's it's almost like to to me to to, to try to do what he's doing. I I have to like almost make the hand convulse right you know? yeah 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 and
0: so i don't know how he does it so where's where's uh where's what the hell was i thinking at
1: well you know the thing is it's actually um uh i'm i have it now it started on analog tape and then it moved to a digital format and then uh, recently i moved it all onto the computer yeah uh and so one of the things that i was doing at the time was i was actually putting in pieces of frank's music uh that would sort of be these segues you know i would learn how to play certain hard things on on the guitar and, yeah. and then i would put it in there but that stuff is all coming out because i've been doing frank's music for 10 years right now and yeah. i don't i don't need to put that stuff in there so i have to write some new little parts uh but yeah i mean there's still people i'd love to get uh recorded on there you know like um jeff beck and jimmy page and you that's know. a
0: monster man I mean, like his playing is like I, you know, I can't listen to his music that much because it it doesn't move me.
1: But, but his guitar playing is like out there, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. He's just one of those guys that has a sound, and it comes just from his hands. It doesn't matter what he's playing, you know, what gear or anything. Yeah, it's wild. All right, man. Well,
0: this is uh, It's exciting, and I'm I'm happy for you. The record's great, and you seem pretty good. Thanks, man. (laughs) Thanks. I thought that was a very um, great guitar conversation, and I found it very touching, that stuff with his dad. I mean, it's no easy thing to be the son of a wizard and uh, and then cut your own path in your own life. I, I like talking to dweezil. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTFPod needs. Go watch my special, More Later, on Hulu or on Amazon or in its original home on Epic's. What else? Yeah, you know, you know the story. You know the story. I play a little guitar, maybe.